Everybody thinks the Big Ten is the Pac-12's big brother, and they start playing football this week. Is everybody going to be watching? Arizona and Cal coaches take shots at Arizona State. There's recruiting news, and it's dropping kids who have already had a committable offer okay. The NCAA is messing up 2022 scholarship numbers. They're going to be squeezing high school kids out. New Mexico versus Colorado State got canceled by the state of New Mexico. And Utah coach Kyle Whittingham thinks that that could happen in the Pac-12 as well. The All-American game got canceled, which is going to then impact recruiting commitments. Cal is supposedly going to regress defensively. And the conference released its Friday night game schedule. Oh, don't we love Friday night games? I'm George Reister. He's Ralph Amsden. And this is the Pac-12 Apostles. The Pac-12 Apostles is the podcast by Pac-12 fans for Pac-12 fans where you get the real, you get honest opinions and details with facts. And please make sure that you leave a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. But Ralph will tell you, just just give us whatever you think the the podcast is worth and we'll try to exceed your expectations so you can change it to a five-star review. And make sure, most importantly, that you share it with a friend because the podcast is continuing to grow. And we want to thank you guys for that, especially. And make sure that you share it with a friend. Um, and you can get a hold of us. I'm mad at unafraidshow.com. We will absolutely address your emails. And you can find us on Twitter at Pac 12 Apostles. And he's at Ralph Amsden at Twitter. And I'm at George Reister at Twitter. Let's get to it, Ralph. So the Big Ten starts this weekend. Aren't you so excited? Big Brother gets to play football first, and Little Brother gets to watch Big Brother play. I didn't. I didn't actually know that that they were part of the the family. I mean, at least maybe we'll be in their will now that they have billions more dollars than than we do. I'm actually excited about the idea that, that they're Big Brother. Get, get a uh, make make a phone call. Uh, to borrow some cash sometimes. <laughs> Dude. Uh, I have struggled. I've really struggled to watch football without Pac-12. Last um, last week was the first week that I – and you got to understand, like, my kids weren't even home. They were out of town. My wife took them camping. It's the first time that I've actually had an empty house in seven months. And I was like, I'm going to watch football all day. Uh, after watching Joey Yellen, former Arizona State quarterback, play uh, for a couple of hours, I was like, I think I'm done. And I just went and did other things. I went to a live high school football game uh, to go see Minnesota commit uh, Stephen Ortiz and Washington State commit quarterback Adrian Lara instead. And uh, I just I don't really have much interest in spending Saturdays watching the games if the Pac-12 is not going to be involved. And I feel pretty much the same about the the Big Ten, if I'm being honest. It wasn't I, – I tweeted it out. I was like, football's not the same without the Pac-12. First of all, what are you going to watch at night <laughs> at, at, at 8 o'clock? Every, everything is done. And truthfully, like that second slate of games, like that afternoon slate of games when the Pac-12 would normally start – Oh, it's just a snoozer, dude. Like I, I, I get that you you have Louisville playing Notre Dame, but I mean, unless you're a Notre Dame or a Louisville fan, I mean, did, does that 
do either one of those brands like excite you? Like, oh, I got to watch that game. Um, I did watch Florida State, North Carolina, because I predicted Florida State to win. And everybody was shocked. They were like, what the hell are you doing? I, I knew it was happening. I could feel it. And um, watching Texas A&M and Mississippi State, that was a terrible game. I mean, there weren't very many good games. And the SEC is not exactly providing great matchups either. And, yeah, so I'm, I'm happier that the Big Ten has started because there will be more options. But the world truly won't be normal again until the Pac-12 is playing college football. I am excited for a little bit of Mountain West action. I think um, Wyoming, Nevada. I got I got a couple of friends on on each team, each staff uh, that I really want to see both of them do well. But obviously, my my uh, my homerism is going to win out on on that one. So it's it's going to be nice to see the Mountain West get out there and get a crack at it. Uh, definitely wish the Pac-12 was playing this weekend, um, but uh, we we got to wait. We got to wait our turn. Yeah, yep. <clears throat> there are a couple interest. I, I found myself out of all the conferences, aside from watching Alabama play, because it's weird. Like I like watching Alabama play. Hate watching Georgia play. I think they're boring. But, but I like watching Oklahoma and Texas play. I don't know. I don't know why. Um, <clears throat> but though the the Big Ten is starting, and the Pac-12 is on its way. I I think though that. We're going to be able to learn a lot from how the Big Ten season goes because obviously there have been some SEC games that have been canceled. There have been some um, Big 12 games that have been, well, postponed, and then Big 12 games that have been postponed as well. So the question will will be with the Pac-12's daily antigen testing and how they do things, if they can because they have no margin for error, like there's no room to reschedule. So it's like if you don't have – well, I, I, I guess if, if you don't play all your games and you only get four or five, six games – well, four or five games in on, on the season, like it doesn't put you in a position to potentially make the college football playoff if you are Oregon or USC who really look to be the teams that have an, have an opportunity. I, I just hope – I hope – and am I hoping against hope, Ralph, that – they're going to get to play all the games because their their testing is different. That's all you can do is hope, because I mean, what what makes the Pac-12 any different? The only difference right now between the Pac-12 and everybody else is less room for mistakes. That's it. There's no. It's still college kids on college campuses. Um, you will have some schools that have a little bit warmer weather to where, you know, people aren't going to be, um, in situations. Cause my, my personal belief right now is you're seeing an uptick in some colder weather places because there was an early rush of, uh, winter weather, definitely not where you or I live. Uh, but there's an early rush of winter weather, which gets people cooped up indoors together and you start to see, uh, the spread. Um, a little bit quicker and a little bit more in my home County. There's 25,000 people in Northern Wyoming in the first six months of the pandemic. There were only 25 cases in that whole County. That's it. In the last 13 days, there's been almost 200. And that coincides with there being nine inches of snow on the ground. So, you know, the PAC 12 isn't, 
isn't as regional as most of these other regional conferences. You know, it spans from the far, far, far northwest to the far, far, far southwest and everywhere in between. And so you get some cold weather and that could impact things ad- adversely and then you don't have any wiggle room. You know, you, you might actually you might see the whole thing fall apart. Um, but all you can do is just hope that the extra time uh, is used wisely by these schools to to take extra precautions it's going to be really tough though there's so many people on a football roster and there's not really anything constricting them from coming or going and a lot of this is going to take place during holidays when they're going to want to be around family anyway um yeah i I don't know man it's it's pretty this is like a one tenth of a second left on the clock you have to take the ball out from the opposite basket (laughs) type situation so unless the pac-12 is christian leitner i don't know if this is going to work out See, I I hadn't even considered what you just brought up because with the later games, it did make things more interesting for me because in, especially when it comes to the SEC and the PAC and the Big 10 and the Big 12, where you get a lot of inclement weather, but they're usually done with their regular seasons by Thanksgiving, but pushing them in to December, that's going to change things where like they're like the worst weather condition that they usually have to play in, in the SEC is some rain. So it's a, so I, I, so I was considering that, like how that was going to impact games. But now that you bring up the fact that, that the, that their cases are going up in the States, like how is it? Because I've been wondering for a while, okay, out here in California, it's, only outdoor seating for restaurants. People have put up tents, they put up tents and all of this stuff. But how are you going to do this when rain comes? Yeah. Um <laughs> I, I I we're all gonna be forced indoors and that's when there's an issue. That's why flu season is flu season, right? I mean I'm not I'm not making that up, I don't think. So uh, that's my biggest. I swear, word dude, I never considered that. Like, I never considered the fact that the actual weather brought people indoors, and you didn't want to be outdoors more, which actually increases to the spread of that. Jesus yeah. So ev- everyone's mom has been wrong forever because they're like, you, "You need to wear a sweater outside, or you'll catch a cold." It's like, no, you hanging out indoors. <laughs> without a sweater on is actually what makes you susceptible to the spread of disease, uh, especially in cold weather. And just think about it this way. The average high temperature in Pullman, Washington in October, the average high is 60 degrees. Sounds beautiful. That average high in December drops to 36. 36 is an average high in salt (laughs) in salt Lake. It's 39. So that's going to be, that's going to be tough. In uh, oh, that's going to be frigid air. Yeah, in Boulder, it's forty-seven. So it's it's that it's definitely going to be it's going to be interesting, man. Even uh, even you know Eugene, which in my experience of being up there doesn't get a ton of like snowy weather. It stays cold and foggy and everything. Yeah, average temperature, average high in December in Eugene is forty-six. Yeah, dude, it, it's going to be frigid air because it, during that December time, especially like the beginning, like that right after Thanksgiving, 
headed up to the bowl game, you're practicing indoors the majority of the time. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that is going to be a dramatic effect. Nine a nine a.m. weather. (laughs) Oh, dude. Oh, oh man. Hey, I remember those early morning workouts. There is nothing like trying to get warmed up to actually do something physical like for anybody who listens to this podcast who's a morning runner will understand what this what this is where your lungs burn and you actually need to keep something over your face for a few minutes to like filter out the cold to like blow through some fabric that was that your body is like trapping some of the heat in when you're blowing out the carbon dioxide to make when you inhale not so terrible and then, yeah, yeah, it's it's rough that first warm up. Um, but the pack twelve, it feels weird even having this conversation right now because it is ninety five degrees <laughs> right now in Phoenix, Arizona, where I'm at ninety five. So I'm ta- I'm I, I'm talking about it being too cold for some of these games, and and the weather just has not changed from summer weather in Arizona, not at all. <laughs> so it's, it's weird to be speculating that three weeks from now, people are going to be freezing their asses off um, at these games when I still can't go outside because it's too hot. Yep. <laughs> um, and the PAC 12 released its, its Friday night schedule. So we've already talked about the 9am games, but it's released its Friday night schedule. So, The first one is November 13th. That's Utah at UCLA. And that game is going to be at 7.30 on FS1. The next weekend is UCLA at Oregon, um, which is at 7.30 on ESPN. Okay. So my question to you is this, is that, well, I actually, I'll finish first. And then on November 27th, which is right after Thanksgiving, you're going to have Cal at Stanford at 1 p.m. on Fox, Oregon at Oregon State at either 12.34 or 7.30 on ABC or ESPN. Washington at Washington State will be on the same networks depending on which game is supposedly better. And then December 4th, you have Wazoo at uh, AS, I'm sorry, at USC. And December on FS1 and then December 11th, you have Arizona State at Arizona and Utah at oh, and that, that game is at 430 on ESPN and Utah at Colorado at 630 on FS1. So I think that this presents a huge problem, right? A huge, huge problem because these games are were made were made to be on like they put them on Friday night. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight Friday night games over the course of five weeks. They did this to get more television time. But the issue is this. What happens if a game gets postponed like it has in other conferences? What do you do with that Friday night slot? Because, I mean, like you can't in theory move another game from Saturday to Friday because a team has already based their schedule around it, right? Or or would Larry Scott try to do this? If it's 13 days out, you might be able to. Here's Yeah, but here's it's not going to be question. 13 days out from both teams. Well, yeah. Well, okay. So let's say uh let's say God forbid 
something happens to uh, Oregon State, right? Um, and that November 27th game can't be played um, between them and Oregon. And you know that 10, 11 days ahead of time. You know it on November 16th and the games on November 27th. Could you then pull Arizona UCLA um, from Saturday back on to Friday? I think you could do something like that just to fill the TV slot. Maybe. I don't know. I But there's just no there's no room for mistakes here none at all none at all i i i hate friday games with a passion but like even my hate for friday games at this point heading into whatever leftover little bit of a season that we have i don't care if they play monday tuesday wednesday thursday <laughs> if you can what? get get the games in get the games in some of these what? i'm not going to be able to watch because i you know i'm out scouting different uh high school players um on friday night but dvr exists so i'm not i'm, I'm not super worried about it and kids can't visit so that takes away my primary complaint of scheduling games on uh on friday um, I, I'm not going to complain too much about the ratings hit that they're going to take for some of these Friday games because it's not like Pac-12 Network's airing any of them, so it doesn't really affect the conference in that way. Um, it's uh, it's just there's just no room for any mistakes. You just got to find a way to keep yourself distant and masked up and away from your own families and fans. And, you know, the coaching staff has to – these coaches are sending their kids to school, and then their kids are coming home from school. And so these coaches could protect themselves in any other way. But, like, what if their kids are in school, at an elementary school, and one of their kids gets it, and they bring it home? And then that – you take it to practice, and it's – you know, so it doesn't it, – it, ultimately, it doesn't matter. Some of this is just going to be dumb luck on whether or not we can see some of these games get played. Yeah, so so here is the uh the Pac-12 minimum thresholds to play a game. You have to have 53 available scholarship players and that means you have to have at least seven offensive linemen, one quarterback and four defensive linemen. So that means that I mean if you're Stanford, that means that you may only be able to have 20 players unavailable, but for teams at 85 scholarships, that's 32. So, you know, so a team like Cal who has five scholarship quarterbacks, you know, it's going to be hard to not be able to fulfill a, a, a roster. And in addition, a game, a game should be rescheduled or declared a no contest in the event of the following COVID-19 related impacts. The inability to isolate new positive cases within a team or an athletic department or to quarantine high risk contacts, unavailability or inability to perform testing as provided by Pac-12 medical guidelines, campus-wide or local community transmission rates that are considered unsafe by local public health officials, the inability to perform adequate contact tracing consistent with local government requirements and five local public health officials of the home team state that there is an inability for the hospital infrastructure to accommodate to accommodate a surge. So that's what's happening. <laughs> so you could have some no contest, but then that leads to, I guess, what 
Tyrone, Tyrone, Kyle Whittingham said about what happened with New Mexico and Colorado State. I just want to hit pause on the podcast right now and point out that right before we started recording, you worried to yourself out loud that you'd get <laughs> Kyle Whittingham's name wrong. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Dude, why do I always want to call the man Tyrone Whitt- Whittingham? I don't know. We might as well just change it. The only way that you're going to get it right is if we officially change his name to Tyrone so that you can continue to get it wrong by calling him Kyle. <laughs> I mean, that's really the point where we're at right right now. <laughs> it's devolved to that. Um, so uh, Ralph was, was the one that actually brought this to my attention. So I'll let, let you tell him what happened with this. So the next episode of the Pac-12 Apostles, we're going to be going through all of the different content that was put out from all these various virtual media days and meetings with the coaches and the stuff that the actual uh, Pac-12 conference put out um, with all of their internal uh, interviews. I'm going to spend some time going through all of it, pull out the juicy nuggets, the discussion-worthy topics. Um, But for now, there was just so much of it, and we wanted to make sure that we got a show in today and didn't take three weeks off like last time. Um, And so, uh, you know, there was only so much that I was able to look at. And one of them uh, was that Kyle Whittingham sort of predicted that the possibility exists um, that, that some of these games are going to get canceled. And, and they said that it was kind of like a, he was had kind of a joking manner on the Zoom call, but he said, well, I guess I've learned there's a good chance some of our games will get canceled and postponed as well. The Pac-12 is cranking up two weeks from Saturday. It would be tremendous if we can get all the games in that are scheduled. I'm not sure that's realistic. So, I mean, I, to me, he is a, a very serious, sober-minded guy. And, um, so for, for, you know, for him to be joking about it at all is kind of funny. And then, but at the same time, it re it really makes it sound like he does believe that the possibility you have to leave open the possibility that something can change. He also said, uh, you just have to do the best you can do to mitigate the virus, take every precaution. And we're doing that just hoping for the best. It's an invisible virus and you can't completely be 100% safeguarded against it. I think we're doing a lot of good things, trying to stay healthy so far. So good. We hope that continues. I think that that's the good. See, I think that that's a good, healthy level of pessimism, because if if, if you go in with the expectation that we're going to get every single game, everything's going to be flawless. Like I would rather undersell and over deliver. Because if I mean, like if you expect that. If you expect everything, every game to be played and then get that seventh game, no hiccups, then you are setting yourself up for a potential disappointment. Like th- this is what people do in life. Like they they set the bar so high. Like you you can have big dreams, right? And you can want to like you can want them to happen and all of that. But when you are making plans, like you like you you have to assume some sort of contingency plan. Like you can't just say, I mean, well, I, I guess some people do it. They're like, hey, I'm moving out to California. I have no place to live. I have no money. I'm just going to go and figure it out. And I guess sometimes that works for uh, people. I mean, it may work out for you in the long term, but it's going to be some bumpy roads along the way, as opposed to actually having a plan and knowing that something could could go wrong. 
Like if you go into it there, then I think you're better off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that you not setting expectations would be, um, that would be very Florida. Like (laughs) (laughs) I still can't get over the fact that like that he he wanted 90,000 people in the stadium bragged about the precautions that they were taking and then half the team and him get COVID. It was just like this level of hubris is insanity. And of course they will have learned nothing, absolutely nothing at the university of Florida. But I do, I do like, um, because you, you would have to figure if you were just going by demographic, uh, that's probably the most conservative leaning, most sec minded school of all of the PAC 12 schools, uh, right there in salt Lake. And they seem to be taking this very seriously. And I appreciate that. Well, listen, I mean, if the one thing we've learned about COVID is that it will humble you, (laughs) it it will come for you and humble you as soon as you think that, that it is, uh, that you are above it. Like it's, you you have to have the respect. Reveal that you have an inability to be humbled. It'll, it'll, it'll uncover some sociopaths for sure. There's people out there that got it, got real sick and are still out here licking doorknobs. So I don't know what to do with those people. A hundred percent, dude. Um, the next thing up. So these recruiting. So recruiting has obviously there's negative recruiting. There's positive recruiting people. You know, they they talk about coaches if they're going to leave you know, he won't be there in two years. He's going to take another job. Cristobal doesn't have a new a new contract. Chip Kelly's going to get fired. Clay Helton's going to get fired. Like, they always try to negative, negatively recruit. But there's a bit of news out of Arizona and Cal. They took shots at Arizona State. And here is a video that, that you guys are going to hear right now of Arizona receivers coach talking about ASU's recruiting. Advantages, nobody can visit campus. Disadvantages, nobody can visit campus. So, uh, so yeah, honestly, this is going to be an interesting recruiting cycle. Uh, but I do notice, other than maybe possibly some school up north, uh, that most guys are sticking with their commitments and, uh, you know, on both ends. Now, again, we all know we're talking 17, 16, 17, 18-year-old kids. I mean – it's recruiting, you know, there's no perfect science. But uh, like I said, I think what we've done, our plan that Coach Sumlin helped us all put together this spring uh, really helped us be able to move forward. And that's really what we were focused on. Ralph, and Cal's, uh, who, who who was it from Cal that has something to say about Arizona? It was their recruiting director, Marshall. Um, I believe his name is Marshall Charrington. He said, y'all be careful where you commit to three exclamation points, four exclamation points. If you're not, you could get your scholarship pulled and dropped less than two months before signing day. Hashtag crazy times. And I guess some background information on uh, what is going on is you and I had talked about on this podcast that Arizona State was taking a national approach to recruiting. Right. So they have some of these commits from all over the country. And (laughs) and 
you and I talked last week on this podcast about how Arizona State was probably going to drop some of these guys. And we had a little back and forth on, you know, whether you felt it was okay to do something like that. And we're going to go more into depth on this show as to why it might be happening and let people judge for themselves whether or not they think it's all right. Obviously, if you're a fan of the laundry, you will make any excuse whatsoever to 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 cover for whatever your team did, even if it was wrong. And then the possibility exists that it's just a, a, a victim of, uh, of, the, of circumstance. But um, Arizona State was at 22 commits, and I had said on the show they were going to drop some people. They dropped four in four days, and they dropped one from North Carolina, I think one from Florida, and two from Wisconsin including a tight end and a, an offensive lineman named Marcus Mbo. And what's very interesting is kids get dropped by their schools all of the time. And then they'll go on Twitter and say, uh, after like consulting my family um, and a, a lot of prayer, I'm reopening my commitment. I would like to thank X school for, uh, recruiting me, respect my decision, no interviews, please, or something. Well, <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's the that's the template. You just change yeah. your name, change the school, change the emojis, and you'll be fine. Yeah, and so what that tweet means is one of three things. It either means they are about to get a bigger offer from somebody else, and they're thinking about flipping, or their attention dramatically increased, and they were committed to like Fresno State or something. Um, there's an there's so here's an example. You're probably going to see a University of Arizona 2022 kid decommit soon uh, because he just got Ohio State. Um, he's a, a a really really good wide receiver named Keon Grace. So just keep an eye on that because you might see that actual tweet in relation to you know I'm not I'm not saying that it's going to happen, but he's a year and a half out from committing and his stock just went through the roof. So, you know, there, that possibility exists for somebody like him. Reason number two is you messed up, right? Like you, you did something that caused a school to move on from you. Sometimes that can be academic. Sometimes that can be your behavior. Or the third thing, the, the third thing is that like your position coach got another job somewhere else. And then that, that you'll typically, so it, there was some type of change in the agreement. The agreement was broken. Um, and the third thing that happens is a school calls you and says, we're dropping you. But to avoid the embarrassment of saying that you got dropped by the school, the mutual understanding is that it doesn't hurt you and it doesn't hurt the school to go on and just say you're reopening your, your recruitment. People who are have ins with different recruiting insiders or who are subscribed to 24-7 arrivals, they'll get either the full story or the spun story from the recruiting department after the fact. Um, what's interesting about the recruits that got dropped by Arizona State this last week is they tweeted that Arizona State dropped them. Yeah, it's yeah, it's they, almost it, identical tweets, by the way. Very interesting. Yeah, the, they went out and just said it because, and I think that that showed some frustration in the process. And I know that some schools do it. I hate it. And I hate that Arizona, I think that this is a bad look on Arizona State because it's different if you have to drop one kid, right? B because some magical five-star recruit or super good four-star recruit wants to come to your school right I, I i get it i am i understand how that works 
My issue is how do you let four kids commit? Because remember, just because the, the Arizona State has sent out the by far the most offers in the Pac-12. And then, but some of them are not committable, which we've we've already addressed. I think that that's stupid, but they're not committable offers. But then some of them are committable and then they take commitments from kids. So if the kid wasn't good enough for for you to sign, why not just make him wait like the other kids do? Like, cause there, cause there are kids like uh that are mid three stars, low four stars that are waiting to see what happened with like Corey Foreman and and JT Toom allowed. They're waiting to see what happens with those kids. The way then they figure out what school that that they go to. And but the idea that you would have four kids commit that you know aren't quote unquote good enough in your eyes is it's just it's just bothersome to me. One okay, and it shouldn't even happen every single year. Like it should happen, you know, every now and then, way before the cycle. And like I, I don't I don't like it, Ralph. I I it's disgusting to me because these coaches are gonna get paid their full due. A lot of these classes are filled up or filling up right now. Some of the kids won't have offers that they previously had. I I, I can't. T- I hate it with the power of a thousand suns. I I, I understand. It, the, this whole thing has been really interesting for me because you know I said it was going to happen. It's happening, and there's nothing like I don't want it to happen. And I don't want to talk about it because a lot of my followers are from my time as managing editor of Devil's Digest and then their lead recruiting analyst. And there's this idea out there that I've got something out for these these ASU coaches because of uh, their inability to get local kids um, on campus, which is just a completely different conversation altogether. But I will tell you the absolute bane of my existence is having Arizona State fans take shots at me for me calling it like I see it when it comes to the way that they recruit. And I, there's no feelings wrapped up in it for me. I don't care what they do and don't do, but when something happens, I'm going to give my perspective on it and the way that I see it. And if the way that I see it is incorrect or it can be seen a different way, I'm more than willing to listen. Uh, but the truth is um, I, I know what I'm doing. I very much know what I'm doing and you can believe me who talks to all these kids and has them relay all of their conversations that they have with all of these coaches directly to me. Uh, and then you can see a pattern over time and you can say, Oh, maybe there's actually something to this, or you can just write it off as I'm out to get your favorite team, the same school that I have a degree from, which doesn't, you know, in, in my, in my personal opinion, doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but you and I talked about on this podcast when ASU started getting kids committing from Wisconsin in the middle of a, a pandemic, that it was, um, you know, them going on Instagram and searching the hashtag Tempe life <laughs> and they're shut in their house in Wisconsin. They see people out at pool parties in Arizona and, uh, you know, that they, they went full Rob Gronkowski and said, I'm going across the country and that's where I'm going to go to school. And I've, I was always a little bit concerned at the idea of people from other parts of the country committing sight unseen to any school, um, wh- whether it's Arizona State or not. So I've always been under the impression there's going to be a ton of movement with this recruiting class, with the next recruiting class. But I, I will tell you this. Um, 
both Garrett Gillette, the tight end from Wisconsin that dropped, um, as well as uh, Marcus and Bo, the offensive lineman from Wisconsin that were dropped, they relayed, relayed what was told to them. Uh, and Marcus said, they just told us, we don't have a spot for you anymore. And uh, Garrett Gillette said that they told him they only want one tight end in this class, or they can only really afford to have one tight end in this class. Um, they, The Marcus and Bo tweet has like, 200 some replies 200 some quote tweets a lot of it's asu fans who are just trying to understand what's going on and and are are wishing him the best and treating him with class and being absolutely fantastic some of them are arizona high school football coaches arizona high school football coaches are in the replies of wisconsin prospects telling them like here's one example huge shocker they do it all the time there hang in there and good luck Arizona high school football coaches are tweeting at Wisconsin kids blasting ASU. Something is off. Something's not right. And so, um, you know, I will tell you, I'll tell you this. And and I got a a call from a parent on the day that this happened, which was the 20th. So a couple of days ago, I got a call from a parent of a pretty high profile kid that ASU is after. um, And he told me we're done. I don't trust them. I don't like that they do this to kids, uh, whether they're from the state of Arizona or not. I don't like what they did with Frank Thompson last year, which we talked about on the last episode uh, of of this podcast, um, telling him that he has a home here and to shut his recruitment down and then dropping him after the state championship game before letting all reporters know what? that they were going to. You and I talked about this. Yes, I remember. Yeah, so, oh, that's yeah, so, oh, that's dirty. Yeah, so it, it's somebody that ASU's after, and and you know I was told by their parent that that there's no way now that they've lost all trust because of this, and I didn't influence this conversation. People are going to believe what they believe, but you have to understand this is also the third year in a row that I've gotten that call, not and from different parents every single time of somebody that re- that wanted to be at Arizona State, but said based on things that have happened, I have lost trust for this coaching staff. And so I'm going to move on and, and go elsewhere at the same time, you know, who's kicking ass and recruiting anyway, Arizona state. They're, they're doing relatively and comparatively well, and they're getting super talented kids. And I'm excited to see what happens with the recruiting class and how they develop it. And some fans have an easier time swallowing that pill, but what they tell themselves is that everybody does it and that everybody does it exactly like this, but they George, don't, I've been around this a long time. Everybody does some version of stuff within the game of recruiting that I don't necessarily have a comfort level with, but dropping four kids in four days, um, it's not, it's not normal. I just want, I want people to know that it, cause they say, well, that's what you need to do to be an elite program. These elite programs just hold spots open because Correct. other people are fighting for those spots. So that's not what Alabama does. That's not what Auburn does. And when they, they do don't, it, it they don't have news. to correct. They don't have to like, like, um, I, if, if it happens every now and then like, okay. And it should be well before like three, four months, like, so much time but like at like the top programs like you said ralph they aren't uh they aren't saying all right yeah we'll 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 take your commitment but then if these other kids come no they just they just say all right look we have five spots open like they tell the kids straight up one of my friends is a is a is a coach at georgia he's like they tell kids listen 
We got five spots open. You are number three on our list. We, if, if, if for some reason, this kid who's number one kid in the country, which because kids under understand that that doesn't make them feel less wanted. They're just like, okay, I understand. He's the number one kid in, kid in the country. He's the best thing since sliced bread. At least that's what they think. And, but I want to go to Georgia. So if he doesn't go, then I know that I'm, I'm in and, and the kids tell him like, yo, well, if, if he doesn't come, I will commit period. And that's what they do. Yeah. It's, I don't know, man. I I do know. So there, there is a kid that they've been on recently who's very, very talented. And I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see what ends up happening with him as a college football player. Uh, they, they offered him, um, pretty recently and they told him the reason that they didn't offer him before is, uh, that the uh, coach who was there previously screwed up, they put it on him. And like, I know that coach that was there previously and it didn't have anything to do with him. And so there's just some of this, some of this that's going on right now at ASU. It's it. I, I think that there's that attitude that in order to compete with the USC's and the Oregon's that you have to be absolutely cutthroat and that it's a rough game and you got to be able to play it rough. And I understand it and respect it to some degree, but I do want people that are listening this to this to know that it's not the norm. It is not the norm. Like what I'm seeing from Arizona state right now is not, normal not even amongst some of the really big programs because the really really big programs that have a huge huge following when they pull something like this it it blows up in their faces it's it's like there's not a ton of media covering these pac-12 teams and their recruiting decisions and to be honest most recruiting reporters depend on the schools for their information so they're going to put out whatever version of the school spin is to maintain whatever access that they have. Now that's not, that doesn't go down to a T of what happens, but that's, that's the incentive is, Hey, you you know, push our take on this. Um, and it's going to be better for you. And so, you know, there are schools that have like 10 websites. And so like take Texas A&M, Texas A&M has like 10 websites that cover their recruiting, not just rivals in 24 seven. If Texas A&M was to pull something like this and drop three kids in one day, eight of those websites that don't have the level of access that maybe the top two have are going to crap all over the program and they're going to do it for a month straight. And then they're going to interview all of the high school coaches involved. And then they're going to print those stories because those comments and that drama is going to be juicy. Arizona state doing this. It, 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 there were, you know, all of Wisconsin was pretty pissed off. There's a few coaches in North Carolina that are upset. Obviously Arizona high school coaches don't, think that Arizona state is doing things the right way. Um, but other than that, it's not, we're talking about it on this podcast and it's going to, it's just going to fade away. It's not really going to be that big of a deal, but I do want people that well, are listening to I, this I, to know I that, think that, that this is what other people do. It's, it's not entirely true. And it does impact recruiting. Like maybe not this year, but the next year you, you try to well, get a like kid I said, out of, I got Wisconsin. a call. I got a call saying that they're they're They are not having their kid consider Arizona state anymore. And that's the third year in a row that I've gotten a call like that from a parent based on something that they feel like Arizona state did wrong, that they said, I wanted my kid to be local, but I'm taking them out of contention because I don't trust what's going on with the staff there, which is within the parents. Right. And all you want. Well, there has to be some reason why Arizona kids don't go to Arizona State. But people don't want to hear that, George. They don't want to hear it. 
they people don't people who are fans of Arizona State have taken the position that there's something wrong with the kids collectively. collectively the best kid in the state of California in the state of Arizona. What like the the last. So the last year it was Keely, Keely Ringo wasn't even considering it. And then who was the next best kid? Like Ty, Tyler Shug? It has Shug? been, it has been years. It hit. So ASU really hit big in 2016. They almost landed Byron Murphy and they did get Nikhil Harry and Chase Lucas. Um, that was huge. Ever since then, they've had a really, really hard time even getting in the door with the top 10 kids every single year. I think two of those years, two of those four or five recruiting classes, the highest uh, ranked kid that they've landed was number 13 or 14 within the state of Arizona. And when I talk to the kids that are ranked above them about why they didn't consider Arizona state, there's a grievance there. It's not the other places were a better fit. It's I wish Arizona state showed that they wanted me as much as all these other schools, but they didn't. And so then when I try to relay that to Arizona state fans, they're like, well, we didn't want them anyway. They're divas. They want to be pampered and spoiled. And the truth is I'm, I'm going to say this. And it is the most true thing about recruiting in the entire world. If you are a local school, if you are Cal and you're recruiting the Bay area, if you are Oregon and you are recruiting in Portland, if you are USC and you are recruiting in Southern California, it is not your job to show the kid more love than other programs are going to show them. The expectation is that you're going to recruit them. That's the expectation because you're in the in in their backyard. So when you make a decision not to recruit somebody in your backyard, you better have a really good reason for it and be upfront with the kid. Okay? If you do choose to recruit a kid that is in your backyard, you have one job, and it's the most simple job in the entire world, and it's how Arizona State landed DJ Foster. You tell them how you're going to use them. You tell them the plan. Not just the plan for their four years in school, but the plan for 40 years beyond. You introduce them to boosters. You get them connected with the community. You show them what an Arizona state legacy is going to mean to them. So you, it's not about sending the letters. It's not about making the phone calls. It's not about getting the text messages because the baseline expectation as a local recruit for anyone in the country is that you're already going to get those things. So you go beyond showing them love. You go beyond courting them. You go beyond flattering them to tell them this is how we see you here. And you treat them like they're already going to commit. That's yep. the key to local recruiting. Arizona State has not done that. USC failed to do that for a, a while. It's not that it it's it's there is no secret sauce to this. And as much as Arizona State fans want to believe that there's an issue with these Arizona kids and their parents are all from somewhere else and college kids just want to get away from home, that might be true to some extent. But how come these kids leave with a problem with ASU? That shouldn't be the case. Exactly. And that's what's happening more and more is they leave upset with their experience of being recruited by Arizona state. There's an issue there. And if people don't want to listen to me on it, that's fine, but it's just going to continue to move in this direction. And you're going to have to continue to pile up more and more excuses to be able to, to, to make your point on this. The Texas schools have been going oh, through this Oh, you're going to get hate mail. You are going to get hate mail. I'm mad at unafraidshow.com. I M M A D at unafraidshow.com. You can let Ralph know your displeasure, whether you agree or disagree with him. Can we get into can we get into why Arizona State might not be in the wrong though? When it why it might not okay. have anything to do with ASU. Okay. It's the the NCAA is screwing everybody over. How? 
well, they said that you can now make a one-time transfer without penalty. Yep. And they also said that this year doesn't have to count against your eligibility. But what's the scholarship limit still set at, George? 85. So what does that mean for recruits? That means that kids not in the 2021 class, because these kids are already committed that, that, well, actually, no, it, it's going to impact 2021 too, depending on how many people that's what, but decide that's what to ASU's leave. Saying. That's what ASU's yeah. saying is those four kids got dropped because the NCAA dropped the ball. Yeah. Oh, we, and we talked about this when they first, like months and months ago, we said the NCAA is going to have to um, adjust scholarship limits. So they're going to have to be up like 10, like, like 80, like 95 for next year. And then, but, but you can only sign a class of 25 still. So like 95 and then, uh, 93, 90, 87. And then in, in four or five years, you can be back down to the 85 number because it throws everything off by just adjusting it one year. And it squeezes out uh, the uh, the kids, especially in 2022, because if you have schools that push out their uh, seniors and then they sign a full class, that means that you're going to have uh, some of these 2022 kids that are like there's going to be less scholarships available for them. So you're going to have some of the best high school players not being able to go. I, I mean, like they're going to have to instead of going to a bigger school or the school that they maybe want to go to that they ordinarily would get a scholarship to. I think you're going to see those classes in the teens instead of around 25. I mean, and when you, and when you willing to take some of the heat off of Arizona state and understanding that if, if they can now, if they get their, if they get this class back up to 22, it's going to make them look like jerks. Right. But if they stay at 18 because of what's going on and maybe drop one or two more kids because they got more talented kids in their sights. But if they keep this class at 18, there should at least be some understanding that that has more to do with the NCAA than it does with Arizona state's coaching staff. I will, I will absolutely apologize to them if that's the case but i got a sneaky suspicion that that probably ain't it they'll be back at 21 22 and then they'll be then they'll be standing there with egg on their face but they'll have a better recruiting class but that's why i want cal and arizona that are taking shots at arizona state they got to be careful because they could find themselves in this exact situation very soon um or they planned for it (laughs) you you know which is (laughs) Which I mean, which is a novel concept these days. <laughs> um, we actually, oh, we actually have a couple of questions that you guys sent in. Uh, so I will ask you first, Ralph. Um, will Pac-12 fans be allowed before the end of the year? That's from um, at Sasso76. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like it to me, the way that we're trending, the way that cases are sort of moving upward. Um, Arizona is back to pre-June um, levels, uh, or not pre-June, early June levels, which is what happened right before things exploded. It makes me a little bit worried that, that um, you know, Doug Ducey, the governor here, really wants to see fans in the stands. Um, but if things are going to be trending in, in that direction, 
um, you know, he just, he tweeted this morning that he wants to see everybody masked up, even though he was um, hanging out at a rally two days ago uh, in Tucson and in Prescott, Arizona, where nobody was wearing masks. So it's like mixed messaging and it's kind of confusing. But like, if you see the, the spread continue, um, I don't think it's going to happen in Arizona. I don't believe it's going to happen in California or Oregon. So that leaves Colorado and Colorado's football team already got in trouble for hiking on a mountain with their masks around their chins. So it doesn't feel like it's going to happen in Colorado. I think the state of Washington still has PTSD from what happened with the initial outbreak there. Uh, so what, what are we looking at? Maybe Salt Lake will be the only place where you be able to get some people in the stands. Um, so if you're a Utah fan, maybe this could happen for you. But for everybody else right now, I'm, I'm not sure it's going to work out if the numbers trend the way that they've been trending. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. Um, I think it's doubtful. I think that if if you do, you'll have maybe a thousand, maybe like, I mean. Well, they it, got it just, families, right? Families are yeah. going to be able to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that that's going to be the extent toward the end of the season. I mean, I mean, I don't even know if I could sneak into an Oregon game. Like, that. that's where we're at right now. Um, Ralph, will ASU or Arizona have any major impact on the Pac-12 standings? Why are you trying not to laugh? Why you got to be like that, George? Well, I hold on. Uh, Arizona's going to okay. Here, here is the only impact that they're going to have. Obviously, week one, Arizona State versus USC. If Arizona State doesn't win that game. They're going to have no impact. Well, actually, their only other impact will be beating uh, Utah or UCLA, whoever else is actually contending for the Pac-12 South. So, yes, they'll have an impact if they win that game. And then Arizona can have an impact if Arizona State wins that game and then they come back and beat um, Arizona State in the uh, Territorial Cup. But I just you don't, you don't think Arizona has any chance at all in Salt Lake on November seventh, their opener. They may, but I don't. Per, per, no, no, I mean yes, because Utah's lost a lot. But bro, Arizona's Arizona is a speed bump right now. They are a speed bump for people. Like yes, you can. I guess you know you can bust out a tire on a speed bump, but it's not very likely. It's it is tough at Utah home against UCLA and at Washington is how they start the year. What, okay. What odds would you give? Like what odds would you give at university of Arizona starting three and O zero like in Vegas? Like you wouldn't even take the bet. You would no. just tell people to keep their money. Yes. I would do, dude. you I actually, I'll, I'll give you like plus 2,500. Actually, they they would probably be like plus six thousand to to win to beat Utah, USC, and Washington in consecutive weeks. Hell no, dude. That that's not even possible. It's more not even likely, more likely U of A starts the season three and zero, or every Pac twelve game gets played. Ooh, <laughs> that's a good bet, Ralph. 
Uh, I would probably go with every Pac-12. I would bet that all the Pac-12 games get, get gets played because I think that there is a, I think that there is a tiny percentage that that happens, and I think that there's a zero percent chance the other thing happens. Hmm. Um, oh, we have a question that we will save for last because people may crash their car when I ask it. Um, which South team is best equipped to beat Oregon? And I'm and I'm that question I think is assuming that that crossover game is going to be, you know, against the top team. So which Pac-12 South team is best equipped to beat Oregon? I think you need, gosh, that's a tough one because it's still really fresh in my mind. Some of the mistakes that Keaton Slovis made um, against Oregon. I felt like they were in that game though. I really do. Yeah. And then just the wheels fell off. It felt like Oregon had all that practice playing against Mike Leach, and they just just unleashed on on Slovis. Um, the the pass rush is going to be difficult. Just the it's not so much what's left in the secondary for Oregon right now. It's the pass rush that I'm most worried about. So you either have to have somebody who gets it out of the gets the ball out of their hand immediately and has a truckload of weapons like Keaton Slovis, or you need somebody who can get away from you like Dorian Thompson Robinson or Jaden Daniels. It's not going to be Colorado or Utah or Arizona. So I would say, I would say that most likely to beat Oregon for me is USC and then two a and two B would be ASU and UCLA just because a mobile quarterback can change everything about the entire way that a game is played. I mean, just look at, you know, look at uh, in the NFL right now. Um, you know, if you have a quarterback that can, that can get out and go, you have a winning record. So yeah. I, I, but I do think, I do think that the talent at receiver at USC is so immense right now. Um, and they're going to get Brew McCoy on top of all of that, that the possibility exists if they can get open and Slovis can stay accurate, that that can keep them in a game against Oregon. I 100, I could not agree with you more, Ralph. I think that you're a spot on there. Um, is Brett Johnson the best defensive lineman ever? Yes or yes? <laughs> well, the answer is yes. Um, he's, he's definitely my favorite. We, uh, so, um, I listen to the other PAC 12, uh, podcasts that are out there and, 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 uh, some of them I, you know, enjoy more than others. And, and some of them, you know, are, are informational and some of them are entertaining, but I, I'm a listener, you know, I consume all PAC 12 content that I possibly can. And the, uh, 12 pack radio was talking about how they thought that Cal was going to have a big defensive letdown this year, but that they were happy that Brett Johnson was moving from D tackle to DN because they didn't think he could hack it on a, as the nose guard on a three man front. And that pissed me off a little bit because I'm the world's biggest Brett Johnson fan. And I think that he is like the, I think he's JJ Watt reincarnated. So um, I, for me, he can do whatever the hell he wants and there's nothing you can do to stop him. And uh <laughs> He's awesome. He, I, and, and he doesn't have, you know, he doesn't have what Kayvon Thibodeau does as far as, you know, the, that first step get off, but the boy is just like, he's country strong and he's incredibly violent. He's the most chill guy in the world, like long hair, kind of surfer laid back attitude. But this is a guy who in the state championship heavyweight wrestling, um, 
in the state of Arizona, he picked up his opponent and like body slammed them to sleep. He's a freak. He's an absolute yeah. freak. And he got a lot of playing time on the D line as a freshman uh, for Cal. So I, I took offense to the idea that he can't play inside, but they are moving him uh, to the outside. And I don't think that Cal's going to have a big slip defensively. Uh, Yet or too well coached. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, the answer is yes. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm dude. So, so now, so now Brett is now part of the Ralph family. So you have, oh, so you have Brett Johnson Amsden, you have Khalil Tate Amsden. And did you see you- what Khalil Tate did? Did you see what he did? He started a clothing company called Mr. October. Dude, Reggie Jackson is an ASU alum and Khalil Tate started a clothing company called Mr. October to celebrate the month that he went off as a sophomore <laughs> and troll ASU fans. And I wow. keep having people in my mentions asking if I'm going to buy any of the merchandise. And of course the answer is yes. Um, <laughs> and hold up. And you, and there's one more member of the uh, Amsden family. Okay. Who is that? Are you kidding me? Josh Allen? No, 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 no. Come on, man. Think about who is Brett Johnson, Khalil Tate, and who else do you cape for more than anybody else in this conference? <sighs> Tyler Shuck? No, he, he you 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 haven't officially begun his caping yet because he hasn't played. Okay. You are just the uh, hype man there. Hamilcar Rashad Amsden. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's... Yeah, that I, I somebody left a review one time that all I do is is hype up Arizona high school football players, and I'm like, well, you know, Thomas Graham only lived in uh, Arizona until he was nine, and he played his high school football in California. So technically, some California. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, another question: I don't understand how the late start for the Pac-12 will affect rankings and playoff opportunities. And can the Pac-12 teams be relevant in playing so late? It's going to be really hard. Um, I also, did I ask that question? Was that a question from me? Because I also don't know how it's going to affect rankings and stuff. Would you rather be like Oregon number 13, not having played any games, and then like it can only be up from there? Or the first time you lose it, you know, I I don't know. I I think that. Oh, okay. So the Pac-12 had no margin for like it was probably going to take an undefeated team. Like if you played the regular season, the only teams that had a shot, real shot to make it were Oregon and USC, right? And the same is true now because they're both going to be ranked coming coming into the season. And but there is not just winning now because if you're going to play less games, you have to be dominant. Like Ohio State on their run to the national championship. Like you have to absolute just just crush people to be able to be in, and it's going to take coming into the season being being ranked, and that is Oregon and USC. They're the only people who have a legitimate shot at making the playoffs. Um, teams will be ranked as the season goes on, but yeah, I mean, we're, when you if you're trying to play for all the marbles, those are your only two options. Um, speaking of Arizona players, is Tyler Shuck any good? That's the next question.
Oh, I'm sorry. I had my mic on mute. I've been. I just been screaming. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 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 Um, you can't hear me. Yes. <laughs> I. I think what's crazy is I think I heard. I, I want to say it was Yogi Roth talking on some other podcast somewhere, and he. I think he said it. I think he said the thing that I've been trying to avoid saying, which is that Tyler Shuck has more tools than Herbert. Like now. And again, I'm not going to say that because I don't necessarily believe it. You have to see for me, seeing is, is, is believing on some of that. Um, But as far as what his skill set is and having seen him play live a bunch of times, he's just absolutely perfect for what they're trying to do there. So, I mean, I'll look absolutely ridiculous if he's not, but I I feel very strongly that he is. The thing that could hurt him is it's a short season and you have no room for error and you have an experienced quarterback backing him up that you might want to check in on if Shuck can't get the job done in week one. Right? I mean – you, you got a lot of situations like that. What do you think of this, George? I know that this wasn't asked of us, but I think we, we should bring it up. Uh, Jake Bentley got a captaincy before they announced the starting quarterback. Yeah. In Utah. Yeah, see, that that seems weird. That seems weird. Uh, the last question, though, Ralph. Uh, <laughs> if you don't want to answer the uh, questions uh, until after <laughs> November 3rd, it's fine. So question, uh, this is from uh, an ASU fan. Who is a better leader, Trump or Larry Scott? Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Donald Trump has like 35 million people that will do whatever he says. How many does Larry Scott have that that are not paid directly? See, Ralph, sometimes you make points for 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 different reasons and it's a really freaking good point and that was one of them times bro that was i cannot disagree with you at all i a hundred percent yeah yeah i would that is that is the short answer i would take him as pac-12 commissioner today are you kidding me yes yes dude you you would get all the publicity yes you would have some negative but you would be available and people would care about what what happened to you um granted it may not necessarily be all the people that you want but you 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 will get the attention that you desire i got a couple Um, i I got a couple more and uh, uh i got one that was messaged to me and then there was a few that replied to you um, one I don't think is our purview. It says, "Do you think Biden is guilty of anything?" I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't think that's in the yeah. That's why I, I skipped over that one. I was like, yeah, I yeah. don't even know how to answer this question. But I, I, I thought this one was interesting. What position group has the toughest time catching up after the COVID layoff? And I, on, for, you probably know better than me, but I'm looking at these SEC defenses and I'm thinking to myself, it's got to be these defensive backs. Um, I, no, I don't think so. I, I think that the SEC's issue has to do with the fact that their passing rates on first down and overall are up to almost 57% as opposed to being down closer to 50. So the more you pass the ball, the more you spread out in space, it creates uh, a bigger problem. (laughs) I mean, it creates more points and 
chances for your dynamic playmakers to make plays and instead of playing run and punt offense. So I think that that's where they're struggling. I would say it's the offensive line and the quarterbacks because especially if you have a young quarterback, he hasn't seen very much stuff. He, he needs the time on task and the offensive line needs to gel because the defenses always start faster. So yeah, that's my answer to that one. There's another one on here that I, he answered his own question. He said, most underrated coach, parentheses, Smith, question mark. Jonathan Smith out of... Uh, yeah. Would I, every single Pac-12 coach, if they could get Jonathan Smith as their offensive coordinator, would fire their offensive coordinator today? Uh, except for Oregon with Joe Moorhead. I, I, I disagree. <laughs> you think they would fire I, Joe Moorhead? To get Jonathan Smith, yeah. I don't think so. I think that they're in. I think that they he carries some name cachet, helps recruiting because Saquon Barkley played for him. He was at Penn State, all those things. I think that that factors into it. Um, yeah. Well, thank you guys for listening to the Pac 12 Apostles podcast. We appreciate your time, appreciate your energy. Catch you guys next episode. And, and, and Oregon State, go get TJ Green. You can do it. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs>